Welcome to the Fun Engagement Pod from Fun Insights, bringing you insights straight from the experts. You can join the Fun Engagement Network at funinsights.co.uk and we'll let you know when new episodes come out. We're also on Acast, Google, Apple and all major podcasting platforms. This stuff is the future. 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 Welcome to episode 20 of the Fan Engagement Pod with Ben Kensel, Chief Operating Officer of Norwich City Football Club and former Commercial Operations Controller Arsenal and then Chief Commercial Officer at Charlton Athletic. I love chatting with all my guests, as I'm sure you realise, and this chat is no different, but moves into areas that don't traditionally get talked about enough in fan engagement, and that's strategy. Strategy is, as Ben explains, what makes what Norwich City do effortless as well as leadership and staff taking responsibility they didn't just land where they did through luck they did it because the owners Delia Smith and Michael Wynne Jones and their colleagues made intentional decisions about direction and strategy along with the leadership team and ensured that the whole organization buys into them that's the reason they finished so high in the inaugural fan engagement index last year and why they're so well regarded across the game don't forget This year, as part of our commitment at Fan Insights to collaborate with clubs to help improve fan engagement across the game, we'll be sending out Fan Engagement Index research with findings to clubs in advance for their comment before we publish anything, so that we can get the best data possible. And don't forget to join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. We've got some exclusive member benefits coming soon. So we'll just start, right? So Ben... um... I was just having a look at your LinkedIn profile, which is obviously available to anyone if I want to have a look. Um, you've been at Norwich for six years now, right? Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, just short. Yeah, just short of six years. You were at Charlton before. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And Arsenal. And Arsenal. And these have been commercial um, roles. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, with... principally commercial roles. And now, obviously, at Norwich, I'm uh, the chief operating officer. So stepped up again um, and effectively run the club. Uh, along with uh, uh, two others. Okay, and um, commercial. Now, that's when it comes to a lot of, um, I think, well, certainly a lot of the fans that I might have worked with a lot in the past in my old job at Supporters Direct. Commercial is quite a dirty word. It's something that people struggle with, right? Um, Which, you know, you're nodding vigorously. I think that's something we can all agree on. that it, and I think it's. I think perhaps the reason for that is, um, it's not always appreciated what the role of commercial is. Um, um, I don't know what. I don't really know why that is. I suppose why would anyone pay that much attention to the inner workings of a football club? I suppose the only the reason that people get a little bit antsy about it is because they feel sometimes that commercial activity compromises the identity of the football club and that kind of thing. Now you've been you've been working at a football club in a commercial role. Um, I'm actually at Charlton before that. I would say as well, particularly at clubs that are very. Well, at the time Charlton was to my to my memory, and obviously Norwich, where you are now, were very in tune with the idea of the football club being a whole sort of unit. Is that something you recognise? Is that is that a, 
is that your general approach to commercial work that you see this is part of the enabling of a football club to operate in the in the way that it needs to and to reflect what the football club actually is rather than just generating money to pay the wage bills yeah no absolutely there, there, there is often a disconnect um speaking frankly between a club and sometimes its fans um but also the disconnect often comes for a lack of communication and a lack of a clear identity and a messaging of that identity so a plan is what i'm talking about now let's be really clear at, at, at norwich um let's not talk about it as just commercial but let's say all income generating areas. So let's call them club controlled areas. So we are controlling through uh, our fantastic support, income streams that help uh, support our football club and obviously pay all of the overheads and all of the wage bill. Now at Norwich, it's a good example. As a self-finance club, what we'll do is we will have uh, a traditionally three levers and verticals as we would call them that make up our business model okay one is club controlled income within that is ticketing hospitality retail uh, partnerships catering um, anything that generates revenue uh, or is an income stream through effectively either engaging with customers on a conference and banking perspective uh, 365 days a year or fans coming to a football match, buying their season ticket, buying their pint of lager uh, and whatever it might be. All of that sits within the club controlled income um, sort of vertical, we'll call it. The second vertical that clubs rely on is broadcasting. So a broadcasting arrangement would be either a solidarity payment drip, dropping down from the, uh, from the Premier League to the English Football League. Um, it could be a cup competition uh, sort of uh, placement. Um, so effectively, a parachute payment or a cup competition um, winning in the cups, you obviously uh, generate revenue from that. That's pot two. So if pot one is club controlled income, pot two, we'll call it, is a broadcast and, uh, and cup winnings. And pot three is player trading. And ultimately, player trading is, is whether that's through the academy, um, you bring a, a young player through, selling him on, that will generate a profit, or it's buying a player and then spinning that player out after two or three years of, of fantastic performance and great loyalty to the club onto bigger or better things. But, um, you know, they're the three pots that we, that we work with. At Norwich, um, we don't have a fourth pot, whereas the majority of other clubs do, and that is owner investment led um uh income so i'll give an example of uh bournemouth bournemouth have exactly the same three pots that we've that i've just alluded to but they also have owners that put in money um uh on a regular basis so do derby so do so do a number of clubs not in forest here at norwich we have a self-finance model um and Charlton was working towards a self-finance model um and I have to admit, I, I, I believe in that ethos. And um, I think the reason why um, you alluded to earlier, a dirty word, commercial being a dirty word, is because there's a disconnect between, you know, if you just said commercial, usually it means selling something to someone. But actually, if you think about the way that there are many, many, many things that make up that club controlled income, think of it as a, as a, as a pillar or a vertical within a business that adds up to the sum of all parts, which might be a turnover of X versus a cost base of Y. And at Norwich City Football Club, we want that to be break even at the end of that year. Um, 
Uh, and that's how we run our club as, as a self-financed entity. And I think that's the, the basis of taking commercial out. Commercial is just one, one element of probably 15 different uh, businesses under the one umbrella of a football club, whether we're talking about a retail business or a catering business. And I think, I think that's probably uh, the way that I would look to explain commercial, because I think commercial is probably too narrow um, an expression. Okay, so um, so one of the things that, um, let's be honest, um, can can be a struggle. Let's say, I mean, it's, I think externally, um, there's an assumption. I think, well, no, I mean, uh, my experience is there is an assumption that fans are not interested in the financial performance of a club. I think it's more delicate than that, or more nuanced than that, and that's that fans on the most part, apart from the activists, and, and those are in themselves very important groups of people. You know, um, there are all sorts of groups of fans that make up a, a um, the fan base of a football club and some of those are activists. But a lot of ordinary match game fans are not going to be rushing to look at the balance sheet every season. They want to see how the club are doing on the pitch. The first, you know, the men's first team in this case, obviously, we're talking about your, your, your position. Um, and... Some but but it then is, is assumed that they don't care about the club losing, say, fistfuls of money, um, attempting to stay in the Premier League, for instance. Now, how do you um, sell isn't the right word, but how do you pitch this approach to fans that look, we're going to be a bit of a yo yo club, certainly at the moment, because this takes time to build a football club that isn't. It's capable of staying in the top division of English football, which is, you know, is a bare pit of a league when it comes to trying to stay in. Um, be patient with us. You know, West Brom managed it over time. And I think they pretty much did it without Jeremy Peace putting any money in. I think that was all generally, you know, generated from running the business from those pots, etc. Part, you know, excluding the fourth pot. So how is this? How is it to try to communicate this? Because it requires patience from fans it requires a lot of thoughtful communication from a football club it requires owners like um Delia Smith and Michael Wynne Jones and and their colleagues on the board and in the shareholding the sort of major shareholding groups not to lose their kind of not to lose perspective and lose their minds which is very easy to do so it requires a lot of patience how do you how do all these moving parts work together because that's a lot of clubs fall when they try to do this yeah. and a lot of clubs don't even try to do it in the first place because it looks so difficult. Yeah. Um, well, 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 I think, I think you, um, you hit it on the head when you said, you know, fans rightfully should, uh, should be focused on the results on the pitch. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not in any false position where I think that, that, uh, f the, the, the majority of fans don't look at their club, ensure that it's run well as a business and go, oh, do you know what? We're, we're bottom of the league, but we're run really, really well as a business. You know, I don't, I don't fall into that category. I know that fans want to see a winning, a winning team that gives it their all, that has personality and flair and gets results. I, I completely appreciate that. I think, I think what, what it is, is it's a balance. I genuinely believe that you can achieve um, a really sound financial model and, uh, business strategy within football uh, that still engages with its fans, tells the story, has an identity on and off the pitch, 
that breeds patience, but actually ensures that fans come on the journey with you. And I think that's that's the part that's that's one of the toughest things to do. But actually, that comes down to a really good commercial strategy, a really good communication strategy, and close alignment with what happens on the pitch and those that are, that are um, responsible for that, whether it be Stuart and Daniel in our, in, in our case, um, they need to be aligned to that same vision. And I think that comes from the very top and our board are very, very strong and very forthright in doing the right thing, first and foremost. Um, may not be the richest owners in football, but they're certainly the best in terms of understanding how their club operates. And, um, and then almost taking the shackles off in terms of how we're going to do that. Can we be a little bit quirky? Can we do things first? I mean, you know, the recent situation that we've had with, uh, with COVID, it's been terrible, but actually we've had clubs come to us asking us how have we done what we've done from a rebate perspective? Um, how have we told the story that we've told with regard to, to the academy development? All of these things aren't just flashes in pans. They're actually part of a, a an actual sort of aim and an actual uh, strategy that we have at the club that, is, that isn't just the fly-by-night kind of, oh, we'll do that this season um, and we'll do something different next season. No, this is actually a strategy that's been born out of, you know, three to five years of planning and then delivery within that time. And you said I've been here six years. It hasn't always been the case that we've had that, that same strategy, but the club has been self-financed and has that self-financed model. I, I believe it comes down to good planning, but also everyone being aligned. And then a fan base that is communicated to clearly and concisely. And when the chips are down, not hiding, you know, being being there and actually answering the tough questions. It's easy when you're winning or when you're champions or perhaps when things are going OK for you to sort of stand up and be counted. It's when things don't go so well that you you probably have to have to stand up, take some pelters and say, do you know what, I might have got this wrong, but my intentions were pure and I was doing it for these reasons. And I think we've all learnt lessons in that front. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't change a thing about how we've done what we've done and how we continue to do what we continue to do. Yeah, so, I mean, I know it's worth people listening to to um, to ha- go and have a look at the COVID refund or the COVID scheme that you had when it was um, when you were looking at how what fans wanted to do with the remainder of their season ticket income. And it was a it was, there were a collection of clubs that managed this in very strategic, very thoughtful ways. And you were one of them. <clears throat> Another one of them was Doncaster, who um, who did it in a very particular way, quite thoughtful way. Lincoln, likewise. There were a number of clubs who did this and didn't just rush immediately to, well, we're going to have to provide a refund or we can't refund you, which was the response of some clubs, which I'm not going to name. It wouldn't be fair to. But that showed the thoughtfulness. So leadership is a big part of it, isn't it? I mean, we, I think um, having a good strategy is always very important. I think in communications, people over, I think maybe in one sense they over, uh, you know, there's a tendency possibly to overthink. The key is to have something that people have, people have agreed, have bought into, and uh, it's that, it's kind of that natural that you don't have to constantly refer to it. It actually becomes a culture in the end, doesn't it? Of, of communication becomes a cultural thing rather than, well, let's just go and consult what it says in the book. You know what you're meant to be doing. And that a lot of it comes from leadership. That isn't there in every club, though. And there's a lot which don't have it. So how much is it now just a matter of culture at Norwich City? And how much is it still that... 
Um, you know, because it clearly has come from Delia Smith and Michael Wynne Jones originally, because of when they took the football club over. You know, how much do they have to do now when it comes to I'm talking about leadership in this whole area and fan engagement and the way in which the club positions itself? Or is it do you just do you look do you look at it and say it just seems to be automatic now? People seem to now understand that this is the way the football club operates. It is the Norwich way of doing it. Yeah, no, it, it, at this club, yes, um, but there's a fair amount of stability at this club. We haven't chopped and changed. We've stuck to our word. We communicate in a very clear, concise and transparent way. I think our fan base uh, accept that um, and are receptive to that. It's not easy. You have to work very, very hard behind the scenes. Um, there are good days. There are bad days. It's definitely led from the front. And I actually think leadership is is almost woefully, woefully kind of uh, overlooked. I think, you know, to have a good leadership structure in place, uh, to have it um, invested from the very, very top of your organisation all the way down, um, I think that's absolutely key. Uh, we have a very, very strong set of values. Um, we have a, a strategy house uh, of which we recruit by um, and we, we, we live and breathe by. And I think, you know, these are not quick fixes um, at all. These are things that need to be embedded and culture is not just something that you can turn off like a light. Um, you know, it needs to be worked on constantly, but it, it does come back to leadership and it comes back to showing up. And ultimately, here at the club, what we've got is fantastic staff that believe in the direction of travel. But that that has been that has been led, that has been strategized, and then that over a period of time, uh, years now, over a period of years, that's been embedded. So now it does feel natural. It does feel effortless. Um, but if I went and placed myself in another organisation, I could probably sort of sense it straight away. That, that, that that was missing. And I think it does come down to leadership within that organization around what what type of relationship do you want with your fan base? Um, you know, is it a consumer-led relationship? I just want you to buy, or is it a case of no, 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 we want you to we want you to be part of the journey. Come on the journey with us. And I genuinely believe by by having a real good focus on fan engagement and uh and uh consultation and uh and you know transparency around your communication within a on and off the pitch. Quite frankly, I think you can achieve so much more, and with that comes commercial success as well. So um, something that um, uh, I was talking about with Mario Leo from Result Sports, who's um, by the time this comes out, that would have been published. It's worth a listen to. And we were talking about and and. Um, communications as a cost center if you like um and it's something as well that i've talked about i mean leicester city or club i've i've I, I i quite admire in the way they set what they do up and i think everton are quite similar in some ways that they they understand the notion that communication is something you need to do um and you need to whether or not you can invest in lots of personnel um or only a few you need to invest in that personnel and that's struck that way of communicating and understand that that's not going to be there generating you money. There might be ways of justifying the cost, which is a different thing, but it's not going to cost you money and it's not going to generate you income and you shouldn't see it that way. Uh, and, um, and Mario was talking about the fact that a lot of football clubs place perhaps recent graduates and that's no this is no slight on recent graduates but they put recent graduates or 
you know, um, uh, people who are uh, perhaps a journalist, for example, someone with, with a mind of a journalist in a communications role. And what they then do is, you know, they'll they'll push content, then they're, they're not thinking about the long term. It's not about a, a, an engagement relationship. It's about a pushing, uh, a publishing relationship, if you like, a, a reader and a listener and a viewer rather than a, a fan. Um, is this a, a way you, is, do, you know, do you set up Norwich in that way that you, you you understand in the end that fan engagement communications and therefore fan engagement well they cost you money they're not meant to be generating money yeah they're meant to be communicating because that's what you have to do is that is that the way that you see things there when, when it comes to fun engagement yeah yeah i mean whether it's a cost center whether it's called a support service which i think is probably slightly better termed um um whether it's an income generating area i mean for me I go back to, once again, culture and values within our organisation and within our leadership is dictated by the sum of all parts is greater than the individual. So if we are to be successful in layman's terms, we're going to need everyone pulling in the same direction, no matter how um, strong our workforce is. No matter where you sit in an organisation, whether you are a support service or whether you are an income drive, income generator or driver, ultimately one needs the other to be successful and to help push whatever messages or whatever um, pitches that they need to get out there. I, I genuinely believe that there's probably, especially in these tough times at the moment with COVID and and you know the the, the dreaded sort of um, redundancy uh, challenges that lots and lots of clubs are doing to cut their cloth accordingly. I think clubs naturally need to obviously look at the bottom line, but actually need to understand that the bottom line is is as a result of many, many people's contributions, not just those that sit in income generating areas. And I think and I think for me, I go back to it. The sum of all parts is greater than the individual. And if you if you actually if you look at that from a fan engagement perspective as well, sometimes some of the some of the best um, kind of touch points that you get aren't necessarily as a result of one or two or four or five members of staff having interactions with fans. Sometimes they're just incredibly organic movements that are as a result of um, groups coming together. And I think people saw that at the, within COVID, you know, football clubs turned to their community and became beacons of their community to help those that were disadvantaged or struggling. Um, that had nothing to do with you, whether you generated any revenue because no one had any revenue to generate then. It was about doing the right thing by your community. Um, and guess what? Within that community, your, your fans are part of that community. And our fans love the fact that we were helping our community, their fellow neighbours, and they felt a deeper sense of level and engagement with the club as a result of that. And that, that wasn't about making money. That was about doing the right thing. Um, so I think I think you can we, we can all get hung up on where we sit in an organisation and whether it's a revenue generating area, a support service area. Ultimately, good communication um, and rules around values and messaging and identity on and off the pitch. As long as someone sets the strategy, leads appropriately, I'd like to think that everyone has a part to play. So is this um, is, you know, <laughs> I, I, in one sense, I hate these questions, but you kind of have to ask them. Is this some kind of is the COVID crisis, which, you know, as we speak, is in some sense is set to get worse because of the recent change in rules on um, on clubs and the last, and frankly, the last quite last minute nature of 
the way they were introduced. Is this a sort of moment where you see things shifting somewhat to people, you know, not that there'll be a sudden magic shift to, well, you know, fan engagement is, has to be at the center of what we do. We have to, yeah, we have to change our model. I'm not, I'm not talking about a Damascene conversion, you know, road to Damascus stuff. I'm talking about is, has this shift, has this, has what's happened in the last six months, um, you know, has that changed, do you think permanently or will it permanently change the way that football clubs think about themselves in the way they, you know, you're talking about the way they've um, rooted themselves in the communities, the way they've seen, which they already were to some extent before that, but they've kind of, there's a, there seems to me to be an almost a, a sense of reliance that wasn't there before. And that clubs have looked at this as also as an opportunity to, you know, and there are some clubs out there that have received a lot of criticism for the way that their business models operate that have seemed to have really taken this opportunity to show themselves as a different entity and to, to be softer, if you like, and to be yeah. much more aligned with their in interests and the needs of their fans. Yeah. Well, I think, I think uh, first, and foremost, first and foremost, this is about survival. At this moment in time, financial survival is at the, at the heartbeat of every single football club. Um, in the in the EFL at this moment in time, um, it has to be about financial survival because a club cannot exist without having that club controlled income um, effectively coming and flowing through its uh, through its accounts and through its uh, through its veins. So it's about survival first and foremost. I think it's then about appreciation, appreciation of uh, a phenomenal amount of people uh, across the country, but also across in each of the clubs um, sort of relevant areas an appreciation of, of the support. Um, I think sometimes quite rightly um, fans get hung up on winning, losing, drawing. And I think there is a definite more a greater appreciation of life, a greater appreciation of coming together, of community, of, of the role of the football club being that kind of um, community hub uh, the, the coming together of people. I know, uh, having spoken to fans when we phone them up, of, of fans dearly missing those that sit around them and they're not family. So they would class it as their football family. And they're telling me on the phone that they dearly, dearly miss the 20 or 30 people that they have a season ticket with, uh, which we're very fortunate. We have 22,000 season ticket holders. But, you know, that means there's a lot of football families out there that are probably just appreciating life and the fact that 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 thing that they probably took took um advantage or, or or took took for granted was the fact that they would we'll see you next saturday you know leicester at home our last game in february yeah we'll see you next week for the um whatever game it might have been and actually they haven't seen them since uh and I think there's a much more deeper level of appreciation for perhaps the things that one took for granted in football. And I'm sure that's happening up and down the country rather than necessarily your club being in your eyes, successful or not successful on and off the pitch. I think there's, there's a deeper level of appreciation for getting back, for understanding what that raw sounded like, because it's a distant memory now of when your team scores at home um, and and I think we're all witnessing that. We're all wanting that. And I think that is what clubs are are starting to sort of 
appreciate a little bit more is that their fan base is everything to them. And the fan base are thinking that their football club is is a great cause is a great deal to them. And I think I think that's where, where I'm seeing it. And I think that digital engagement that we're talking about, that communication piece, that's only strengthened that. Clubs have realised that actually we need to engage with our supporters because our supporters can't come to us anymore. We can't take that for granted. So do you know what? The right thing is to engage with them um, while they can't be with us. And I just think it's a greater level of appreciation for the perhaps the things in life that we took for granted and we now want back dearly. And uh, we'll get there, but it'll be a much, much longer journey to getting there. But the feel, the feel good of when we can get 27,000 fans back in this stadium, I think that appreciation will stay with people for the smaller things a lot longer than it would have a year ago, having just lost 1-0 somewhere or having a VAR decision gone against us. I think people will just go, thank God we're here in this beautiful arena or in this beautiful stadium with so many wonderful people around us. This is a great day. And then about a month later, they'll all be moaning at the uh, 1-0 defeat away. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> um, just just one thing I wanted to quickly touch on was, you as a, as a, um, as a football club, you did well in the first fan engagement index last year, bit of a plug. Um, it's coming out later this year again. It's going to be, data sets are going to be sent to clubs for comment this time, because the whole purpose of the index is to try to help to help people to identify and improve and hold, you know, hold a mirror up to clubs so they can see where they're doing it well and see where they can improve. What are the things that you um, do as a club, the actual mechanical, the mechanics, if you like, the stuff that you do when it comes to the, particularly the dialogue that you do, what are the, what, what, what's the sort of, is there a, um, is there something, you know, in, in, is there one particular thing that you do with perhaps with the supporters trust, perhaps, um, you know, with the wider sort of fans parliament type of thing with your fans forms. Is there one particular thing that you would suggest every single club should do um, if you had to choose something out of all of those things that you do? Is there one thing you would recommend? Yeah. Uh, well, first, is that too there's simple? That, yeah, there's actually two. There's two things that I would say. Internally, we have a, um, a head of uh, support services. Um, uh, that that role is integral, integral to any level of success that you place on fan engagement and communication with fans. There has to be someone who is responsible for pulling all of these different strands together. So when you say, you know, raise a mirror, often people look at the good things, right? I, I look at the blind spots. So I often look at the, I challenge the bad first and I say, how can we maintain the good, uh, make it good, better, best? But actually, the things that we're not so good at, I, I want to challenge them and I want to sort of bring them up to perhaps a, a good level. I don't think you can do that if, if, if it falls between two or three people's job roles. And I genuinely believe that that is the, the secret to success is about assigning accountability uh, and responsibility to genuinely improve the, the fan engagement there. And then, and then the other thing that I would say is it's about... It's about actually delivering in a face-to-face -face capacity where possible, obviously. Um, goalposts are moving on that slightly. But we have a, a fantastic fan group network that we consult with, with on a regular, regular basis. And some clubs do that very, very well. And other clubs, other clubs unfortunately don't. But um, the clubs that do do it well are usually um, massively, massively ahead in their engagement with their fans 
because their fans feel like they can talk to the club. But they can only talk to the club realistically if you have uh, that accountability on the internal side to actually take responsibility for that voice. Um, whether that be linking, I mean, Lynette Hannant, who is our head of support services, she would link in with, you, with your good self, with uh, other uh, barometers of success in this area. But also she is the main link to, to fan groups and fan groups are the main links to our fans. But just because you're not associated to a fan group doesn't mean that you can't contact Lynette um, individually. What there is, is there is a very, very clear pathway as to how you can talk to someone at the club. And that isn't via the reception at Carroll Road. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about someone that is, has, an, has an expertise and a skill set and also a hunger in line with uh, values, with our club values, to actually make a difference. So if you write in, you'll get a response. Um, and and if you might even get a call. You might even get an invite in uh, to discuss things that we could change. Um, but also, you know, as you say, the index and, uh, and, and, and fan engagement from that side, you have, to, you have to understand what are you measuring against? And that's why I think these, uh, uh, these type of uh, appraisals, surveys, however we want to class them, um, they are really important around benchmarking, around how you can be better. And it doesn't mean how we can be better against another club because we're not actually competing um, because what, what we should be doing is we should be understanding what good looks like, what best practice looks like, and then we should be looking to adopt it and then almost ever so slightly tweak it so it fits our club um, because we're not competing for the same fan base, in my opinion. What we should be doing is learning off each other's things that we do well and things that we don't do so well. And that's why I, I always look to try and connect and travel extensively and try to go to clubs that are doing it well and try to speak with other clubs that um, have got aspirations to do it well, or even ones that perhaps it's not a focus. Last little thing, something that I, would, I was talking about with Gavin McGaw from Hanover Communications, who used to be um, Director of Commercial and um, Marketing at the, the Football League. Um, and I, I asked him purposely, um, because a lot of people will talk about structure, strategy, they will talk about um, you know this role and that role, and I said, look, the thing that I think most concerns me is, is that some clubs will respond when I talk about perhaps online engagement, for example. Um, well, look, we haven't got the resources for that. That's for big clubs. And my response to that is, no, I don't think it is. I think that's the way you arrange it. Is all the thing, are all the things you're talking about, you know, the, the, with all their lines of accountability and responsibility, is this all doable at... Morecambe um, is it all doable at you know at, at uh, uh, you know at Carlisle United as much as it is at Manchester United or Norwich City is this about a habit is it about a culture is fan engagement do we think far too much about it being about um, uh, about how much it's how much is this going to cost me rather than what's the benefit it's going to bring is it going to bring and how can I arrange this so it's it's an effective use of the resources I've got yep it's a good question, but for me, it's about responsibility. Um, you know, we are fortunate that we that we have decided to have um, to place importance on it, and therefore we have placed a budget against that importance. But um, no, for me, if we didn't have the type of money that we would need to to do this the way that we've done it, then it would be about responsibility across many stakeholders. But there would still need to be a lead in that area. So a good example, and 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 you know, I. I 
I wouldn't know. I've not I've not necessarily been, but you use Morecambe as an example. There will be a level of staffing at Morecambe that might mean that you have to have six or seven hats, or possibly even ten or twelve hats. Okay, but ultimately there should be assigned leads in certain areas. So there is a responsibility across the whole of the workforce to engage in line with a strategy and a set of beliefs and an identity around how we're going to play or how we're going to treat fans. But then, then, then there, there should be an assigned lead in that area to take responsibility for that. And I think, and I think that's where too many clubs kind of push that through, push that through in, in different ways. So who is leading in fan engagement? And it could be the receptionist. It could be whoever, whoever you assign it to be. But then they have to have the, the sort of the, the cultural attributes to almost want to pull everyone up if they're not if they're not delivering against that. They want to go the extra mile or they want to uh, have an inbox so they can go through it for any uh, supporter queries and things like that. So I, I think sometimes people can hide behind budget as a reason to not do something. Um, but then again, I completely appreciate it becomes a lot harder um, when you don't have the, the adequate level of resource to do something well. But I do think you could do it better just by having a, a more aligned view on where it sits in your organisation and a collective responsibility to, to deliver against said strategy.